we, we want to jump into a series called Healing What Still Hurts. And, and what, I, what I just was thinking about as we were kind of crafting this series is that we need to be brave enough to heal what's unhealed inside of us. Or, or maybe I should say it this way. We need to be brave enough to take to God the things that have not yet been healed inside of us. And, and I say that not because I just want you to be well. I do want that. I do want you to find hope and joy and, and peace and grace and um, that, that healing that I think God promises to us. But that's not the only reason. The, the other part of this is that as we look at our world around us, we need healing right now. Amen? Like, we, we need something to take place in us as individuals, as, as families, as communities, as society, when our social media streams are filled with people yelling at each other over political opinions or, or philo- philosophical differences or whatever that is. And, and I think we add to the noise. And, and I think when we look at a world that needs healed, he, here's the reality. For that to happen, we need healers. We need people who are willing to step in and become people who, who offer to do the healing or, again, at least point people to the one who can do the healing. Part of the crisis of the pandemic has been we don't know if our hospitals can sustain the amount of sickness that's taking place. And the reality is that I think if we look at our society, we may see the same thing, that we've got so many people that are hurting, so many people that are sick, that are broken, that are wounded, who need healing in, in, in the way that only Jesus can heal. And, and I would say this, you can only lead people as far as you've gone. You can't lead people to healing if you yourself have not been willing to kind of get gut honest and say, there are parts of me that, that need to be healed. And so I want to, I, I wanna, for the next um, I don't know, 30 weeks, maybe four weeks. We'll see how this goes. I'm not really on a schedule in this weird time. Um, but I want to I spend a little time in Matthew 18 looking at a passage. And we're going to jump from Matthew 18 to a couple other stories in Scripture. But I, I want to kind of break this passage down to you that maybe we've read, maybe we're familiar with. But, but I wonder some if we've actually um, understood what Jesus is really getting at in this passage. So Matthew 18 verse 10 is is where we're going to start. And Jesus is in this moment and and he's going to offer several kind of narrative pictures, teaching stories throughout Matthew 18, kind of Matthew 18 through chapter 20. Uh, Theologians treat this as one set of the narrative of Matthew, that the author was really trying to get some things across here. But Matthew 18 verse 10, here's the first thing that we see Jesus saying in this passage. He says, see that you did not despise one of these little ones. Now everybody say little ones. Well done. Okay. For I, he says, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, this, this passage raises so many questions for me automatically, and, and I always have more questions than answers. Like, which little ones is he talking about? Do they all get their own angel? Isn't it cool to think about that? Does, does your child have an angel? What, do we lose an angel at some point in our life? Like, we turn 14, the angel's like, I'm done. You know, because parents feel that, right? Like, what's, what's the deal there? What, what is he talking about? But he says, see that you do not despise. By the way, I'll answer none of those questions today. Um, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven have always, always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, let me pause and go back to the beginning of this chapter, because this, this 
this statement that Jesus makes about these little ones that we're going to unpack is actually started by the first part of chapter 18. And here's what happens in verse 1. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the disciples, these, these men, these followers of Jesus who have been with him now for some time, come to their rabbi and they say, you've been talking about the kingdom of God. And you've been infiltrating kind of enemy territory, right? Remember, they're living in a Jewish world that has uh, basically a hypocritical religion. And then they've got the Roman Empire on the other side. They're living as captives of the Roman Empire. And they have been wondering all along, Jesus, when are you going to give us the kingdom? When are you going to take power and authority and status? Remember, they had this understanding of the kingdom that meant one day Rome would be vanquished. That the religion that was false would be eradicated. That they would actually be in charge. And so they come to Jesus now believing that's the type of kingdom that he's bringing. And they say, who is the greatest? Now, isn't this the question that so many ask, right? How, how do we become great? How do we raise our status? How do we raise uh, our, our achievements? How do we become the most successful version of ourselves that we can be? Now watch what Jesus does. It says he called a little child to him, one of the little ones, and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so there's this just brilliant, beautiful moment where these disciples are coming to a rabbi saying, what does greatness look like in your kingdom? We know what it looks like in Rome. We know what it looks like in the Jewish religion. What does greatness and status and achievement look like in your kingdom? And Jesus says, let me, let me show you a child. And unless you change and become like this child, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. Not be great in the kingdom. He says, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. So let me pause there, and this is where I want a little bit of feedback, right? And you're on your schedule for lunch, so if the awkward silence happens, it's, it's up to you guys. So what is he saying by putting a child there? What you're thinking? What have you heard? What have you been taught? Or what, what is your assumption about what Jesus is saying for them to become like little children? Any, any thoughts? Teachable? Is that what she said? Yeah. What else? Okay. No assumptions, no, yeah, set, set ways of thinking. What else? Forgiving, okay. What is it? Open-hearted, yeah. So this is, these are our cultural narratives, right? When we think of children, we think of all these things. So usually when, when we're talking about this, we'll hear people say pure of heart or faith-filled, like they're the faith of a child, we celebrate that, or this, this innocence. Now, what, what I want you to understand today is, is there are places where Jesus seems to teach that. He talks about the faith of a child. However, there's something a little bit different here that Jesus is getting across because in our society, we tend to celebrate children. We tend to elevate children. We tend to highlight children are valuable. They have worth. They're the, the purest of us. They're the most potential. We're going to pour into them. But in this culture, in this society, there was a little bit of different understanding when it came to children. Right? If you were to look at the Jewish culture, the Roman Empire, they saw the man as the head of society, kind of the, the status quo. Then you had the lower rungs full of slaves and women and then children. So children were actually seen in this society not necessarily as innocent, faith-filled, pure. They were seen as helpless. They were often seen as unlovely. 
They were seen as incredibly vulnerable. They were actually uh, a burden to the family at times. Once you got the male child, you were good. That would pass your name on. But every other child, eh, we're not sure how that's going to work. And so if you were to study the understanding of children in antiquity, that through the 16th century, some writers think that they lived under very bad conditions. The majority of people would suffer from poor living conditions. They, the children often went undernourished, lived amidst poor hygiene. There were high mortality rates uh, among children. One writer I read said this, fathers formally had power over the life and death of children. Kids, don't forget that. These fathers had power over the life and death of their children, which literally meant, now listen to this, the father, the head of the household, could and evidently mostly did decide on whether a newborn child will be raised in the household or would be exposed, and what exposement was left out in the street to die. This is how children were considered. I want you to rethink about this passage because Jesus says, your question, who wants to be great? Let me show you the most vulnerable. Let me show you the helpless. Let me show you those with the lowest status in our society. And let me say to you, don't despise what God values. Now, let's talk about what this says to us. First thing I want you to grab onto today, I would say this statement, don't neglect what God sees as valuable. Don't neglect what God sees as value. You see, God has always in his kingdom, when we read Jesus, when we read the stories of Jesus, we see that Jesus values the unlovely, the devalued, the things that we often cast aside. Now, let me tell you what this often means for us, and I'm going to show you an example of this. Typically, when we hear this message, when we talk about this, we think of other people. Well, God loves the unlovable. God loves the cast-asides. God loves those who have been cast out of society. And I want to say that's absolutely true. We need to consider who the unlovely are. But today, I want you to think about the unlovely and the devalued as something you see in your own mirror. See, if I were to look in the mirror, if you were to look in the mirror, I bet every single one of us sees things about ourselves that we want to say that is un lovely. That is not valuable. That is unworthy. That is broken in me. It may be physical things, but it also may be deep-rooted wounds, spiritual brokenness, shame that you have of the past, guilt that you have from the past, hurt that you've experienced, that when you were to look in the mirror, you would say, that part of my life that essence of who I am, that failure in my past, that hurt, that loss, whatever it is, that is the least valuable thing in my life, and I simply don't want to look at it. And Jesus takes the least valuable and stands the child among the disciples and says, listen, don't despise one of these little ones. Don't despise the broken. Don't despise the unlovely. So when it comes to healing what still hurts, the first thing I want to say to you is you have to understand today we're not talking about this passage as it relates to the people outside of you. I want to call this passage to your own mirror, to your own life, and say, friends, don't neglect what God sees as valuable. When it comes to what's been hurt in your life, when it comes to the things that feel broken, what do you see as unlovely, as devalued, as cast aside, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, hurt from the past? What do you feel like is worthless? Maybe that's the thing over the course of the next few weeks. Maybe that's the very part of you that God wants to say, listen, don't despise this. Don't neglect this. 
Don't cast this aside. Don't treat this as the unlovable child. Don't miss this. In fact, God says, I want to go into it, and I want you to find value. See, if we're going to see the things of our past finally healed, we have to stop despising them. And the question that I would ask if I were sitting in a chair, how do we despise them? How do I despise those parts of my past? Let, let me give you some examples. First, I think we hide them. I think we take the unlovable parts of our lives and, and we hide them. Now, many of you, I think, I may be wrong, but many of you, I think most of you, would probably not hide a child. Because we value the child, right? So here's my question. If Jesus says the little ones are full of value and worth, why do we insist on hiding our pain? Why do we insist on hiding the things that are broken within us? What, what if we became, listen, th this is kind of my dream for our church. What if we became the church that truly knew each other? Now, I don't mean just know each other because we sit down hopefully someday again at potluck dinners. I mean we truly knew each other. We, we knew each other in the midst of our pain. We knew each other in the midst of our wounds. Do you know what the most attractive thing is for Jesus Christ and his followers? When his people who are broken and wounded and full of guilt and shame get up and say, yes, I'm broken and wounded and full of shame, but God has worked in the midst. And I'm more times than not, I hear people all say, would you come share your story? I don't want to share my story. It's too messy. That's what people need. And it's not celebrating your mess. It's celebrating that you're coming out of hiding because God has done what he needs to do. Why has it become our goal? I, I've been thinking about this all week. Why has it become our goal to look like we're always put together? What if we became, I, <laughs> I don't think I'd get away with it, but I thought about like the new t-shirt for our church, no more BS church, right? Like that's what I was thinking. What if we became the people who said, we're not hiding anything anymore? That's how we despise the things that hurt us, right? We, we hide them, or we ignore them, or we stuff them down. Let's just put it away. We're not going to hide it. We're just not going to go there. And my question is, how's that working for you? How are you doing? Are, are you trying to, to, to bury the things that actually aren't dead? You ever tried to bury something that's still alive? It doesn't work, right? It's not going to happen. Baking soda and vinegar, you mix those things, you try to put a lid on it, it's not going to happen. You're going to leak, and that's what happens. When we don't choose to step into the things that need healed, hurt people end up hurting others. Hurt people end up casting out their hurt onto other people. We, we leak all over the place. Or, or the way that we despise this hurt is we distract ourselves from it. Let's just self-medicate. Let's just distract, busy ourselves with whatever we can. Go shop, go binge watch Netflix for 12 hours. Let's just not face the night. Because the night is going to confront in us the things that hurt. And that's the second thing I want to say to you. See, God sees what we try to hide. He always sees the things that we try to hide, that we try to neglect, that we try to stuff, that we try to bury. So watch what Jesus says next in verse 12. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Now, again, we love this sermon when it talks about lost people. And I love this sermon when it talks about lost people. We have always said we want to be a faith community that goes to the lost, that reaches the lost, that does everything we can to find lost people. And we celebrate that when we come to Christ. But here's what I know. Some of you are so excited about going and finding lost people, but you're not excited about finding the lost part of yourself. You're not willing to go there. See, God sees what we try to hide. God wants to find. Listen, this is his desire. He wants to find what you've lost. He wants to turn 
ashes into beauty. He wants to restore health from brokenness. He wants to cure what's been cut in you. He wants to redeem what's been broken. This is Jesus' manifesto, the very first time Jesus preaches. Just think about this. The very first time Jesus preaches in Luke 4, he gets up in the synagogue and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Luke 4, verse 18. Because he's anointed me. And then watch what he says. To proclaim, this is what I'm here to do to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Listen, poor, prisoners, blind, captives. That's who Jesus wants to go after. Can you imagine if he got up and he was like, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. I am here to set up churches full of nice people. To create people who walk in on Sunday mornings and dress nice and smile a lot. Even if they're wearing masks, yeah, they're smiling. Who, when asked how they are, just say, we are blessed. That's why I came. Can you imagine if Jesus said that? Then why do our churches look like that? Why is that the church that we perpetuate in a world who needs to see? Listen, don't miss this. Who needs to see prisoners set free. Poor people receive good news. Blind people find sight. Oppressed people set free. Listen, if all you're doing is sitting around getting mad this week, this month, this year, 2020's been a year, hasn't it? If that's all you're doing because the people that are putting stuff out don't agree with you, or you disagree with them, or you don't understand why, and you're not living into this mission, then I want to say to you, how can you be the healer that God wants you to be? Poor, prisoners, blind, Captives, is that you? Where are you poor? Where are you poor in spirit? Where are you poor in resources? Where is it that you would say, if Jesus preached that message to me, that would bring life? Where do you feel held captive? Where do you feel like you're a prisoner? Where do you feel like you're blinded, like you can't see the way out of? What is it that God might come into you and say, listen, I know that you've got 99 parts of your life together but I'm interested in going after the one part that you keep putting away from me. I'm interested in that one piece that you don't want to bring back to the forefront, that thing that you buried long ago, that thing that hurts too bad to talk about, that thing that if your friends knew, they might actually not want to be your friend. I want to go after that. That's the place that Jesus wants to come into. If there's 99 sheep, he still wants the one. He still wants to go after it. And then he says this in verse 13. And if that man finds that sheep, if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. I want you to think about this again. Just just picture this. I got 99 people in a church, and they're pretty good spiritual people. And I got one person that comes in and says, you all are never going to believe how wrecked my life is. Do we stop and go, okay, so, so let's talk about the 99, because they've got it kind of together, right? And you're the one, you're kind of, but the one says, no, 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 you got to understand the radical nature of what Jesus has done in my life, and he's transformed me, and everything has come back to life, and what, what God has done, I have to tell this story. We celebrate the one, right? We celebrate the one. But what about our lives? Look in the mirror. See, you're willing to celebrate the one, but what about your life when you go, "Mm, he can have 99 parts of me, but the one, I don't know. And see, this is the last part of this today. God's healing 
when we bring all that we are, the broken parts of us, the things that we don't like, the things that we despise, the things that are unlovely, that are invaluable, that are cast aside, when we bring that to God and he heals it, he starts to heal it. And by the way, today's just introduction. Then we understand this. God's healing is cause for celebration. Two of you, amen to that. Like two of you are ready to party, right? But let's try this again. God's healing is cause for celebration. You know, you guys are still like so white. Amen, all right. I, I so want a church that goes, let's party, right? Like God's healing is cause for celebration. See, I want you to understand this. The word trauma literally means wound. It comes from a Greek language that that the range of meanings uh, attested includes being severely hurt, physical wounds, wounding, military defeat, and psychic wounds. And so over the centuries, as people have studied trauma, they've been part of all these different disciplines, mental health fields, literature, the arts, as well as religions. But I want you to understand this about the hurt in your life, about the trauma that you've been through. Trauma impacts every single part of a person. It affects body. It affects spirit. While we have effective medical and psychological interventions today to treat the effects of trauma, treatment that ignores faith is likely to delay recovery. I want you to understand that. I want you to understand what happens when we miss this. See, like Job, most survivors of trauma develop spiritual struggles, questions about meaning and the goodness of God. And when I say to you that this is is what has to define us as, as a church, when faith communities invite victims of of trauma to give voice to their pain and to their complaints. Speaking enables those trapped in silence to find freedom and connection with other fellow sufferers. This is the simple way to put this. In the face of our own healing, when we're courageous enough to share our wounds and say, no, God is calling me out of this. He's going after the one thing and not the 99 parts of me that I have together. He's going after the hard parts. When we come out of that and somebody hears our story, somebody else will go, me too. And that's where community becomes real. That's where the church comes to life. That's where the body of Christ actually starts to act like a body and not just a whole bunch of opinions that can't get along. See, we want to give voice to healing, but but think about this. If we knew a soldier who came home with trauma and then found healing, wouldn't we celebrate? Wouldn't we rejoice? Why don't we do that now with each other? Why do we miss that? See, the church is missing the party. I've said this before. You you know the first miracle Jesus does is produce more alcohol. If you don't like Jesus, you better, right? Like, listen, he he makes the party go longer. That's his first miracle. His mom comes to him and says, we need more liquor, right? That's what she says. And he gets the party going. See, I believe, listen, don't miss this. I believe we need strong therapy. I believe we need good counseling. I believe we need treatment. And we need friends. You need people to hold you up and walk with you. But ultimately, friends, in the midst of our healing and our wounds, we need Jesus. And the good news is this today. This is all I want you to know today. Jesus wants to heal. He wants to heal parts of you. Do you know why we don't talk about healing much in the church? Because it kind of freaks us out unless we're on the charismatic spectrum of theology. See, a a lot of people want to say, well, charismatic churches, they're way out there. But actually, I think maybe they're getting into what the Spirit is doing because the rest of us are too scared to come clean and say, I got some stuff that's broken in me that needs to be healed. And so our churches are filled with people 
who need healed but don't actually believe God can heal us. Can I say that again? Often we're a church filled with people who need things in us healed or need to see people around us healed, but we're actually, we're functional atheists. We pray like we want God to act, but we live life like we don't think he's really going to. And we need to understand, he sees the greatest in the kingdom as the lowest, the ones who have been a mess. And so here's, here's the challenge for you today that I want you to be wrestling with, thinking about. Number one, don't neglect what God sees as valuable. If you were to hold up the mirror, maybe we should pass this around. We won't. But if you were to hold up the mirror and you looked in your mirror, what is it that you see as unlovely, as devalued, as too broken, as something God doesn't want to deal with or you don't want to deal with? What is the thing? And I want to say to you, don't let the lies of the enemy say to you any longer that that is not valuable because that may be the very place. That may be the very part where God says, this is the greatest part of the kingdom that I'm going to give to you. It's what Paul says, that I had a thorn in my flesh given to me, and my weakness, God's strength was made perfect in my weakness. Don't neglect what God sees as valuable. And then again, just hear this. God already sees what we try to hide. So, so answer this question, the practical side of today. What are you neglecting? What are you hiding? What are you stuffing What are you trying to ignore? What are you trying to distract yourself from to self-medicate away? What if today you actually named it? What if you actually named it? You actually came clean and said, this is the thing. I've done this before, right? Take, go home and grab, I don't know, marker, lipstick, whatever you got. Write on your mirror, what is it that you need to name that you've been neglecting? And over the next week, let God work in that. Let God name that and heal that, begin to heal that. God wants to find what you've lost. What have you lost? Have you lost your trust? Have you lost your purity, your confidence, your joy? See, God wants to restore these things. God didn't save you to make you a good, polite, well-blessed Christian who puts on good clothes and a good face when you come to church. He saved you to give you life more abundantly. Like what you had before Jesus, it's supposed to be way better after Jesus. It's hard for me to understand how I like people better before they become Christians. You ever had that experience? Like I meet people and I'm like, you are full of life. You're amazing. And then I get them in church and I mess them up. And they're serious all the time and they're busy and they're like, oh, look, I'm getting my life in order. No, you're okay. You might be, but you're not much fun anymore. And see, when Jesus brings life, he brings it more fully. And then don't miss this. Finding healing is cause for celebration. What has God been healing you from? What can you celebrate? Friends, I I believe we're in a moment, a season. We've been talking about this for for several weeks. And the band can go ahead and come. I I think we're in a lot of ways replanting this church. I think many churches are kind of replanting themselves right now, trying to figure out what does this mean right now to be the body of Christ. And I think we're in territory where I actually... I'm really not interested in talking about your opinions on COVID-19 or masks or no. I'm, I'm really not interested in that at all. I'm sure there are people in this room who are. And you all can talk outside the walls at any time that I'm not around. What I am actually really super interested in is what does it mean for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ in this moment? What does it mean to listen, and don't miss this, to plant churches in our neighborhoods, not in buildings, but in our neighborhoods. 
that become the body of Christ expressing itself as the body of Christ, saying we are going to be medical stations for spiritually broken people. We're going to be outposts of the kingdom of God, welcoming people who are full of fear, full of anxiety, full of depression, full of shame, full of guilt. We're going to call them into the place of what it means to be the body of Christ because the body of Christ has always been the thing. Don't, don't, this is theological. You ready? Our bodies, if we, have, if we only have human physical bodies, the best we can hope for is we're dying slowly. That's the best hope you got. Do you realize that? I know this is super encouraging today. You ready? The minute you're born, you start dying. I want you to understand that. That's the best you got with a physical body. But the spiritual body of Jesus Christ was always getting better. It was always coming more to life. It was always not only healing itself, which by the way, Jesus did. They killed him. They actually killed his physical body and they couldn't keep it in the grave. They tried to bury what was still alive. And he comes back to life. But listen, don't miss this. Because of the body of Christ, the rest of the world started experiencing life. We're living in a pandemic that can kill people, but we've got a Savior who can bring people back to life. That's the spread of the Messiah. That's the spread of the kingdom of God. And if we as the people of God amen that on Sundays, but don't go out and become the wounded healers, that's what I'm inviting you to in this series. I'm not asking that you forget your pain. I'm not asking that you move past your pain. I'm asking that you absorb your pain and watch God bring it back to life because God has always been and always will be and always wants to be the one who brings life into dead places, who brings the kingdom into places that are broken, who says, my kingdom is forcefully advancing and it will never be stopped. It will never be halted. And when we do that, you don't have to look stoic and solemn. Amen. We can actually party because we are going to be undefeated. The kingdom of God is never lost. It's never lost. And so, friends, I think that starts with us. As we replant what it means to be the body of Christ, I'm calling you to be honest enough to say, I got to look in the mirror before I look at the world. I got to look at the despised parts of my life. Jesus said, don't neglect these little ones. What are the little ones in your life that you don't want to deal with? the things that God would say, today I want to start this work. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about forgiveness. How do we forgive the people that weren't supposed to hurt us? How do we do the work of forgiving someone? You know, Jesus says we're supposed to forgive like 500 times. Some of you are like, I'm at 490, I'm almost there. How do we forgive the ones that hurt us? What if they don't ask for it? How do we live into the place of trauma and move past that? How do we know that God sees us even when bad things happen? How do we live in those spaces? Friends, I think it all starts and all comes back to this idea that greatness is the, in the kingdom is the Savior who died on the cross. It's the one who became the curse. See, when he calls the unlovable child into the center of his disciples, he says, don't, don't despise this. It's not long after that that he's being despised hanging on a cross. It is, that's, that's the beauty of the kingdom is that's what, what's unlovely, what's not valued, what's despised is the place where redemption comes. And so as we sing this closing song, we're going to rejoice in that. But I'm inviting you in this moment to look in the mirror and say, 
God, I'm bringing this to you. I'm naming this. I'm not going to hide this anymore. I'm not going to stuff this anymore. I'm actually going to come clean about the things that still hurt me, about the anger that I have, about the guilt that I have, about whatever it is that feels so deep that I just don't want to look at it. But today, Jesus, you paid it all, all of it. Not 99 minus the one, but all of it. Let's stand and pray together. God, in this place, would you show us yourself? Would you show us your heart for the lost, for the broken, for the wounded parts of our lives, for the places that we have no answers for, for the darkness that doesn't seem like it goes away? Lord, would you meet us in those spaces? God, if it's the mirror we need to look in, show us the beauty that you see. Show us the heart that you have. Jesus, you were bloodied, you were broken, you were wounded because you wanted to pay for all the unlovely, all the devalued, all the worthless things that you knew, knew we as your people would take on ourselves. And so, Father, today we pray for forgiveness, we pray for grace, we pray for healing to begin. I pray that we would have the courage to grab a friend and say, hey, I, I need somebody with me in this. I need to name this. I pray that we would have the courage to find in you, to walk towards you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your salvation. Lord, it's in your name. Amen.